0: and of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Hey, before we get started, we're going to do something a little bit different. You're going to remain standing for us. Don't worry. It'll tie in to what we're doing today. So I'm going to have you just reach up towards the sky and stretch as high as you can. It'll prepare us because we're about to do something wild. Yeah. And then, if you need to hold on to the chair in front of you, you can, but otherwise, go ahead and go down towards your toes. Oh, yeah. Slowly make your way up. Some of us are stuck down there. And then reach out as far as you can. Okay. Hey. We're so glad that you're here. Typically, someone takes to this stage to read scripture, but we're kicking off a new series today. And so we're going to read this scripture together. You guys okay with that? It's going to be a foundational passage for our series. It's actually a little bit longer. We cut it a few verses short, but let's read this together, beginning right there for Christ's love. One, two, three. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new, We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you. And in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for us, for all that you're doing. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here today as we give back in response to all that you've given us. And God, we ask that as we share and hear and learn that, God, you would continue to grow us in the image of your son, Jesus, in his name, we do pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you so much for joining in that. How many of you guys felt good getting that stretch? Yeah, felt good getting that stretch. How many of you guys felt bad reading that scripture? Not too bad? That's pretty good. Well, you were stretched out and you were ready for it. Hey, if I've never met you before, my name is Jed. It's a privilege to serve is one of our pastors on staff. So whether you are online, you're here in person, whether it's your first time or you've been in this place for many, many years, we're just grateful you would spend a portion of your weekend here with us. Now, I told you that we were going to begin this morning intentionally, and you saw those three postures that we took, reaching up, reaching down, and reaching out. And in this series, we are going to look at what it means for us to reach in those ways. But in the middle of your note sheet, this will ground us. I'm going to have you start filling your note sheet from the middle because it's foundational to how we're going to be studying through this series. There is an acronym that we're going to attach to those three postures. And it's this, recognize each as Christ has. And several months ago in March, our ministry team got together as we talked about how we would continue to grow as a church family and as individuals toward a lifelong journey with Christ and what it would look like for us to reach outside of ourselves into this world. And it would be foundational that we would aim to recognize each as Christ has To look at people the way that Christ has already looked at them. And next week when Britt takes to the stage, he's going to be teasing that apart further based off of where we are in this scripture. And every week we're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. More fully, verse 11 through 6, 2 and Today, I've got a particular task to take one of the more famous parts of this passage. But before I get to it, let me just read the few verses that we didn't read together. It's in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us that, that, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And then it picks up. How many of you would have felt a little bit odd reading those first few verses? Yeah, maybe a little bit doesn't seem to go so much with what we have here, but it absolutely does. Now, I don't know about what kind of household you grew in, but in my house, if something was wrong, oh, you knew it was wrong. But some of us grew up in homes where it wasn't so obvious that something was wrong, but it was still pretty obvious, right? Do you remember mom and dad, perhaps? They never argued in front of you, and so you just saw funky faces All day, or maybe it wasn't mom and dad, maybe it was your parent and one of their siblings, aunt and uncle, and you could tell something was going on with the siblings, or maybe it was a parent and grandma and grandpa, and you could just tell that something was off. Well, that's what we have here. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to this church what we have here in. Corinth. And in your Bibles, you'll see 1st and 2nd Corinthians two letters. But if you read 1st Corinthians closely, that first letter, you'll see that Paul references a previous letter that he had written to them that's lost. We don't have that letter anymore. And so there are actually perhaps three to four correspondences here. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, this city that would have been very, very wild and different and prosperous. Tons of people there. And he had been there several years beforehand and met an older couple that we find in Acts chapter 18. And maybe you've heard of this older couple, Priscilla. And Aquila. And Paul spent a year and a half in this wild city learning more about Jesus earlier on in his life when he was still experiencing a ton of his own transformation. And when he writes back to this church in Corinth a few times, the reason why he's writing is because there's tons of dysfunction there. We said it's a wild city. Well, this is a wild church. And like any family like I just spoken to, like yours or mine, where there's chaos or there's turmoil of some sort, whether or not you see it on the surface, you can tell it's underneath. The Apostle Paul knew there was a ton going on in Corinth because he had seen it firsthand. And after he left, a good amount of the people who were still there started arguing about the stuff that he had brought to them. In other words, the good news of Jesus. And we're not going to spend all of our time talking about that historical context, but if you want to see it ratchet up real quick on your own time, all you got to do is read a few chapters after where we're at, 2 Corinthians chapters 9 through 12, and you will see this place is messed up. Okay, if you sense a defensiveness in Paul and anger in Paul, oh, you're not just sensing something. It's there. It's for real. It's dysfunctional. And yet in the middle of all of that dysfunction. Even though Paul has personal hurt with this congregation, he has real relationship, real buy-in. There's a reason why he cares so much. And oftentimes when you and I think about what's real in life, we know that there isn't just the good stuff. There is the hard stuff. There's the dysfunction. There's the stuff that keeps us up at night. And so that's going to feel a little bit disjointed from what we read earlier. And our focus today is going to be in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry reconciliation. Now you'll note there a footnote, and the footnote says that person is a new creation. In other words, one of the ways that we can read this is if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. And we're going to be talking about new creation this morning, because when I hear the words new creation, I think about something new right? I think about something going from old to new. How many of you guys watch some of those remodeling TV shows? Isn't it remarkable to see the old being transformed to the newer? What about that, man? It was one of my favorite shows growing up, Biggest Loser. Do you guys remember that? And you think about the transformation from someone's old body to their new body. We have phrases like, out with the old and in with the new. Or maybe, like me, you were mesmerized that very first time you watched that scene from Aladdin, right where they're on the palace. And he asked Jasmine, do you trust me? And she's like, what? (laughs) Trust me? Trust you? To jump on a magic carpet. And then the next thing you know, they're soaring through the skies and they're singing a whole new world. Do you guys remember that? I'm telling you, I can remember being a kid and seeing that for the first time. And I really was mesmerized. A whole new world. And I almost pulled up that clip to show it to you guys. But I thought that would be way too much, Jed. Don't do that to them. I think about... It's saying a whole new world because some translations, like the ERV, say if anyone is in Christ, there is a whole new world. And the reason why translations go back and forth between ideas of there being a whole new world or being a new creation or a person being a new creation, I'm convinced is because it's actually hard for us to hear new creation, and then not look around at the world that we're in and think, what in the world? That's a scam. How many of you guys have ever felt like this is not the way it's supposed to be? That's it? Just Brit and a couple of you? I think for most of us, thank you, Dave, I think for most of us, we look around at this world or we look at our lives and if we hear, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation, we think, yeah, not so much. A lot of our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors, they look kind of old. They, they don't look like the new. And we see this world and we turn on the news and we, we figure there's, there's no way that this is new creation. How in the world is this what's? new. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what new creation is. And your next fill in the blank says this. New creation, the new creation, it's Christ-focused. The new creation is Christ-focused. Let me read this again. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We're going to keep going back to that. The new creation is Christ-focused. And when we say that it's Christ-focused, what we are emphasizing is, if anyone is in who? Christ. We can put all of the emphasis on if, because that condition is important. And then anyone, because the person there is important. But the true emphasis of this statement is if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And we can contrast that with us placing the emphasis on what we think new creation can look like, Like Instead of, again, saying, in Christ there's new creation. What I mean is this. If you were on one of those remodeling TV shows, what are you going to be showing off at the end? The finished product. The new. Right? In Biggest Loser, they're showing off the new. The finished product. And yet, you and I know, That everything that was once new, if we were to go back to every single one of those remodeled homes that was sold as the finished product, do you think all of them still look the same? Don't you kind of wonder how those people were paying for those bills after that? I always thought, man, they went from a little house and now they've got like this massive home. How are they going to afford the electricity on that thing? Or we take a person who's experienced massive physical transformation and we fast forward several years, has their body remained entirely the same? No. And let me tell you, if Christianity is sold to you as this transformation process where you get to be the person who chose Jesus and then shows off the new creation, like that remodeled house or that new body, let me tell you, You're going to end up disappointing yourself and the people all around you real quick. Because even though transformation is real and it is so important, if we make that the focus, if we make the focus to showcase the new creation, it's going to start looking old real quick. And I'll tell you, I think the world's pretty tired of that message. That's an old message. And it's not working very well to look out at the world and say, see this new creation. Everything has changed about what I'm putting forward for you to see. But if what's new is how we see Christ and then the world around us. Well, that's new. All right. You know, I I put this. This long citation in your note sheet, it's supposed to be kind of a joke. If you're looking at it, it, says Romans chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to Romans chapter 16, I think, verse 27. I'm going to read that whole thing to you right now. That's the whole letter of Romans. That's the whole thing. And the reason why I put that there is because I was trying to think about, okay, well, what what book do Christians get all puffed up about? To try and prove that, man, we've done it. Romans. It's like that theologically rich letter. Paul actually wrote that when he was in Corinth that second time. And if you take bits and pieces of Romans. And you want to put all the stake there. I'm telling you, you can really make people feel bad about themselves. And good about yourself depending on how you're doing in the last 10, 15 minutes, or 24 hours of your life. You see, the reason why I put that whole citation down, even though we can focus in on places, is when Paul writes that letter to those Christians in Rome, he is so fueled by Christ, that if you don't read the whole thing and marvel at who Christ is, you and I will end up with theologies where we're trying to present a curated version of what we think life is supposed to be like if Jesus is our Savior. Does that make sense? We are going to think that the goal is to show off new creation instead of emphasizing who Christ is and how in Him there is a new way of living and being and seeing the world. So let's go to our next fill-in-the-blank The new creation, and you'll see this struck through, is about knowing, seeing, and experiencing the difference. Now, it's kind of hard to see, but in your note sheets, you'll see the strike through between knowing and seeing, because it's too easy to say, I know the difference between my old self and my new self, or I can see the difference between my old behavior and my new behavior, but there's actually an experience to be had. Now, I'm going to show you a picture April, would you put up? Yep. All right. So there's some English there and there's some Greek. And if you say that's all Greek to me, I get it. I read Greek at like a first-grade level. I'm serious. I know all the letters and the sounds. I can read the words. So see everything has become new. Man, I should have put glasses on top of my contacts. Isu, <laughs> keglin. Oh man, I really can't see. Kanta, horta, panta, en ho theos. <laughs> see, everything has become new. All this is from God. Now, the reason why I put that up there is because what we have in the English and so much of. What we fight over, we can't see that original language. I don't speak Greek fluently. I don't think, I don't know, maybe someone here does. I don't think many of us do. And when we say that there is a new creation, I put my cursor over the word become, we start to understand that this is so much more about not just something that happened, but something that continues to happen. There's this perfect tense in the Greek that refers to something that happened that is complete. It's reality. There is new creation, but in the present tense, it's still happening. It's active. Something is taking place. And so this takes us to our next fill-in-the-blank. The new creation is about not just trusting or enjoying, but rejoicing through the process. And maybe you've heard this Bible verse before from Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Several years ago I showed, showed a, a video of that and on the way to school, if you were here back then. I think that that Thadden was probably in kindergarten doing his little Bible verse on the way to school. I told you, we're not a family that does devotions at the table. I I, I struggle often to talk to the kids about Scripture. So I figured, well, the one way I can do it with them is just teach them Bible verses on the way to school. Because other than that, dad's not that great. So... It's been fun over the years to hear Thad, and he's gotten older, and then Titus, and now Trui who's in kindergarten, starting to learn these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's so fun hearing that in at an 11 and Taya 8 and Trui at 5 fumble through those words. And when we hear the word rejoice, if you think about your old life and a new life as just some flip-flop transformation, you might think that that Bible verse is telling you to be happy all the time because everything's different and wonderful. But the word rejoice more closely in the Greek actually means to be aware. It's an awareness of God's grace. Those aren't fill in the blanks, but you can write that down there. There's an awareness of God's grace. That's what rejoicing is. It's, it's finding these ways to see that God hasn't given up on you or us because he is already, in a perfect tense way, given us and reconciled us to Christ, and there's something that is still happening today. Now, I told you I read Greek at like a first grade level. Well, this past week, I read it at a third grade level. <laughs> uh, we were invited to, to sign up for slots to come read a book at school, and I didn't tell Ty I was coming And and thankfully, Mal reminded me that my day was arriving. And so, it's October. Tonight is Trunk or Treat. Come back with your families. It's going to be awesome. And in the spirit of the Halloween season, I picked a book for Ty's class called The Creepy Crayon. And I was really excited at Barnes & Noble because I thought, there's no way these kids have read this book There's no way. And so I show up to class. I'm sitting in the class. They all come in from recess or whatever. They all sit down. Ty's surprised to see his dad there. He's probably embarrassed. The kids are like, hey, Titus's dad. Hey, Titus 2.0. And I'm like, hold on. (laughs) So anyways, they sit down and I say, how many of you guys have heard the story Creepy Crayon? And they all raise their hand. (laughs) I was so bummed. But they were, they were still excited about it. And so I read them this story. I'm only going to read you the first few pages. Don't worry. <laughs> Jed, what are you doing? <laughs> Creepy Crayon. Next page. Jasper Rabbit was struggling in school. He was flunking math. He was failing spelling. The only subject he was passing was art. Jasper needed serious help. That's when he found the crayon. (laughs) It was purple, pointy, and perfect. And somehow it looked happy to see him. That night, Jasper knew he had to study for his spelling test, but Tales from the Carrot Patch was on. By the time it was over, he was way too tired to study. The test was a disaster. Jasper couldn't remember how to spell a single word. That's when he noticed something strange. (laughs) Jasper picked up the crayon. Immediately, he spelled all the words correctly. Ocean, yellow, courage. When he got his test back, he got an A plus and a sticker. The crayon looked pleased creepy, but cool. <laughs> oh, that's a cliffhanger, you guys. You're going to have to borrow the I mean, Britt, you want to finish it next week? <laughs> okay, I asked this question to the kids after I finished reading the book. I said, how many of you guys would want that purple crayon? So the way this story goes, Jasper finds this crayon. He's not doing well. He's living in this old life, right? Struggling, not studying, doing all that stuff. He finds this magical, miraculous crayon. It's purple. And then he starts to do everything incredibly. I mean, A plus, all this stuff. And then it starts to take over in this creepy way. It's like Jasper is getting all of this praise because suddenly he's the smartest student. He's a wonderful artist. His life has just changed so much. And he's starting to get freaked out because he's like, that's not me. And in the middle of this story, Jasper starts to struggle to fall asleep. And then every time he wakes up, the crayon's doing more weird things. It's like writing on his backpack, you need me forever. It's weird. And so, it is creepy. And so he tries to get rid of this crayon, even though at the beginning he was so, so pumped on it. And when I asked the kids, how many of you would want this crayon? You would hope that the kids would say, I don't want that crayon, that's creepy. about a third of the class said, I want that crayon. I'm like, did you guys not hear the story? You know, it's so interesting that even though it is very clear that a perfect life, doing everything perfectly, getting all the good grades and everyone just giving you all the praise, even though that's, that's supposed to be wonderful, it, it's kind of creepy. It's not real. Jasper wants to get away from it. But these students in the classroom, when I said, how many of you would still want that crown? They're just thinking about, well, I don't have to do any work. I get the straight A's. I get to be wonderful at art. I get to be awesome and incredible. And then everyone's going to think that I'm the bomb.com. And I'm not going to get in trouble for failing my spelling test. I'm not going to get in trouble because I didn't study. I'm not going to get in trouble because I didn't show up and show everyone that I'm blah, 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 blah. What if your version of Christianity is like a creepy purple crayon? And if you think that that's what it's about, then you and I have missed the point. Now, the reason why I actually asked that question, even though I wasn't going to go share with the students about why I wanted to know is because the way that students answer that question actually gives us some insight developmentally. I'll put this up on the screen. There's an entity slash helplessness orientation versus an incremental master orientation. And if you're a teacher and you've studied pedagogical methods, you've heard that there's this fixed mindset and there's this growth mindset, right? And you're nodding your head because you're a math teacher. When we think that our intellect is fixed, in other words, you're either smart or you're dumb. And kids start to believe they they can either do it or they can't do it. They're smart or they're dumb. When they encounter things that are hard, what do you think they want to do? They don't want to do it. Why? Because their self-worth, their value is predicated on the type of praise that they get for being able to show that they did it or that they're smart. And so we, we've we actually seen studies, Carolyn Dweck, who's this famous psychologist, demonstrated over and over again what it looked like for kids to have this orientation towards the world where they either thought stuff was fixed, like they couldn't change that would produce a helplessness or this version of life that was oriented toward making small steps and progress so that they can master something and, and in studies with 4 and 5 year olds we already can see kids who have more of a fixed mindset when they have a puzzle and they've done it they want to keep doing that puzzle over and over again because they think mom or dad or teacher is going to keep saying you're so smart And then you ask them, do you want to do this puzzle? And it's a little bit harder and they start to do it and they get frustrated. It's like, this is dumb. This is a dumb puzzle. I don't want to do this. And and they start to feel bad about it. They start speaking in a way that makes it seem like they can't learn how to do this puzzle. And they'll keep going back to the thing that's safe and comfortable that they've figured out. But for the kids that have this orientation toward incremental growth, when they come across a puzzle that's new and challenging, they don't get frustrated and mad. Ultimately, they might go, man, this is, this is tough. You'll hear a kid say, wow, I think I can do this. You'll see a kid that goes, hmm, no, that wasn't right. Let me try again. It's why when we work with kids from the developmental standpoint, and parents, this is a freebie. I'm not a very good parent, but there's one thing that I've learned. Don't praise kids for the talent or the ability. Praise them for the effort. When we coach kids, we don't praise them and say, you're so, you're so great at sports. We say, man, I love how hard you worked. I see how hard you're putting in the work. Right? We don't tell kids, you're just the very best, fill in the blank. We say, gosh, it's so fun to see you putting in all that effort. When we look at our lives with Christ, and it's just about that outcome, it being fixed, you being good or bad, smart or stupid, before and after, here or or there you and I miss out on the process looking for ways to be aware of God's grace his kindness his goodness several months ago I'll just one more quick thing and we'll start finishing up here Dave and Casey Winger they're 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 one of our parents that have kids through our ministry. Some of you guys know the wingers. Dave's up there, I think, in the clubhouse. Uh, he's one of my friends that I play basketball with. Dave's awesome. I, don't, I, don't, I He At the kids' birthday parties, Dave doesn't, he's kind of like me. We don't really like to be around adults too much, but I just want to like, Kee. Dave, instead of that, he'll go out and he'll just play with the kids. So you'll see Dave running around with the kids and having a great time with them. And several months ago, Dave and Casey did this event for our kids. It was an engineering day. It was so cool because Dave's an engineer. Casey's a swim instructor. They're so good with kids. They set up the NPR, and they had all these activities where the kids were going to learn how to enjoy some of that struggle. And they showed them, okay, this is what you're trying to do, and now you go and try and make it. But the very first exercise they did was they gave the kids toothpicks and marshmallows and then had them build a structure, however they wanted to build it. And I was with Truett, our uh, five-year-old at the time, and Jackson, their son, I think Jackson's probably, I don't know if Jackson's four or five. And it was so cool you guys seeing these two little kids with marshmallows and little sticks trying to make something together. And you would think, oh, what are they going to make? But it was so cool to see them start sticking them together and think, well, what if, well, what if, well, what if? And they'd start building and then it would fall apart. And then, well, what if? And, and, and praising and encouraging them for that effort. And we ended up with some structure uh, that was not very structurally sound, <laughs> It fell over, and I'm going to blame them, not me, uh, the adult supervising. But it was so neat to see them learn in that small little day, and with Dave and Casey helping to facilitate that, that the goal isn't just to create the perfect structure. The fun was that iterative process all along the way. What if being in Christ looked like that? So let's start turning this, and here's your fill in the blank. And we think, and every week we're going to look at this, recognizing each as Christ has, and then think about these physical postures. Here's, Here's where we get to start to challenge and think, well, what do we do with this practically? you're filling the blank is I'd encourage you to reach up to find rest in Christ. In other words, reconciliation. Again, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's this thing that you and I do in the mornings when we get up. It's actually, you, you, you do it involuntarily, most of us. In fact, we get up out of bed. Do you guys ever feel yourself kind of like stretching like a cat or a dog? Like, and then you add a yawn into it. Yep, Claude, I see you back there. It's called, there's a term, it's called pandiculation. And the reason why we do this is because when we sleep, our muscles and our bodies become tense and constricted. And when we wake up, God's desire is we start to get those muscles moving and stretching. We watch babies in the womb pandiculate, stretch, and get themselves comfortable. And going, because if you and I don't, we start to get into these chronic tight spaces where the same repetitive actions freeze us up. And when we think about our life, if we're worried about getting caught because our life is not looking like the new creation. And it's all just about our performance and our behavior and showing God and showing other people, no, 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 trust me, this is the new life. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. I can do it, I can do it, and I can do it. Man, it, it starts to feel tight because we know that it doesn't always look like that. And again, in this story, Jasper's struggling to find sleep. And when we see this passage of Scripture and it says that God is not counting people's sins against them. Can you imagine what it would look like to live in a world where you knew for certain that God reconciled you to Christ? And the choice was to believe that He did it. Not the choice was to believe that he did it and then prove that you deserve it, but the choice is to believe that he did it. And the ongoing process of transformation for you and me was whether or not we could in faith trust that it were actually possible and true. At the very end of Paul's letter to the Romans, he actually says that the goal is obedience. That is faith. The best translations tie The obedient act is the faith. It is the trust that when God sent his son to sacrifice on behalf of us on that cross, that that is God providing reconciliation, God providing a way for it to be right, to not count your sins against you. The stuff from then and the stuff from in the future And if we look at the Greek more closely, it says that God reconciled. That's in the aorist tense where there's a snapshot. It happened, right? That's like, that's finished. That's reality. But then when he says that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, it goes back to that perfect active tense. It's crazy, you guys. Reconciled, finished. Reconciled in Christ, finished. If anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. But reconciling the world to himself It's happening and it's ongoing. The not counting people's sins against them, it's actually in that active, perfect tense. It's not, God forgave you at that point and then is like, all right, now make sure you don't mess up in the future. No, 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 that is all happening. The reality is finished. New creation in Christ because of Christ is finished. However, The opportunity for us is to question whether or not we believe that that is true. So I'm going to invite up the band as we finish up these last two fill in the blanks. Because outside of reaching up and finding rest in God and trusting and believing that being made right with him is what he's done. The next thing, remember that the stretching down. So your next fill-in-the-blank is to reach down to experience the personal stretch of committing to what you need to decide to commit to. I'm not going to tell you when you hear these words of Scripture, when you hear this message, what you're supposed to do with this. But I'd encourage you, I really would encourage you to to take some stock and to think leaving this Sunday, what's something that you can actually do that would be stretching to you over the course of the next five weeks as we're in this series? You know, maybe for some of you, it will be stretching to just read this passage over and over. Maybe It will be stretching to find different translations of it and say, I am going to root myself here so I can keep realizing that Christ reconciled me and is reconciling if I choose to have faith and trust that He did it and that He's gonna keep doing it. And maybe for some of you that stretching piece is maybe you're just not sure and you're exploring. Maybe you'll say, I'll come back next week or I'll come back the week after that. Maybe for some of you that that stretching piece is going to be saying I need to reach up toward God. I need to realize that this isn't of myself. I want to find rest in Him, knowing He's not going to hold it against me or count it against me. And that He's not just a God that's good because He changes me, He's a God that's good because He is with me and you through all aspects and days of our change, all the versions that you give God. He's not just good because he took you from one place to the next. God is good because he is with you for all those versions. you see the difference there? So here's your last fill in the blank. Reach out. Reach out over the course of the next several weeks by inviting someone to come with you. we're, We're excited for this series because we believe that there are going to be great opportunities for us to remind one another that the way that we recognize each as Christ has, the way that we see the world, the way that we see Him has the potential to change us and those around us. And so maybe that's the stretch for you is to think about someone in your life who you'd want to invite to come be here. And I had to do it this past week, so I figured I'd invite some of my friends i play kickball with. And they came. Because I thought, I'm not going to ask the church to do something that I'm not willing to do, even though I'm kind of scared. Our hope in prayer is that we would reach up and find rest in God. That we would reach down and experience some stretch and challenge, that opportunity to live in new reality, and that we would reach out outside of ourselves. Because the scripture says that God entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. So your very last fill-in-the-blank is a value. Every week we'll give you a value. And it says, We believe that as God's co-workers, every member of the body is uniquely gifted to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Our staff came up with these values as we studied this passage. And what we're saying is this, if God gave us that message, that good news to tell the world that God's not going to count your sins against you, but He can and will reconcile you in Christ and He's going to keep reconciling the world. Sunridge Community Church, let's be a reconciling church. That's how we're going to help people find and follow Jesus
0: hey everybody it's brit again thanks for listening if you need something if you have a question or you just like us to pray for you you can reach us through email info at sunridgechurch.org we hope you'll listen in again next week but in the meantime keep helping people find and follow jesus